Welcome to the program. I'm Jeff Sheck. Two of the most powerful threads in American history are both the immigrant experience and America at war, and the impact that those wars have had on the nation and its people. The impact of World War II, the Japanese-American experience, and the relationship with Japan that evolved out of the ashes of that war are the penultimate manifestations of that uniquely American story. My guest, Pamela Sakamoto, has in her new book, Midnight in Broad Daylight, captured the true essence of those ideas. Pamela Rotner Sakamoto is an American historian. She's fluent in Japanese. She's lived in Kyoto and Tokyo for 17 years. She works as a consultant on Japanese-related projects for the U.S. Holocaust Museum. She's taught at the University of Hawaii and is on the faculty of the Punahou School in Honolulu. It is my pleasure to welcome Pamela Rotner Sakamoto here to talk about Midnight in Broad Daylight, a Japanese-American family caught between two worlds. Pamela, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, Jeff. I'm delighted to be with you today. First of all, tell us a little bit about how you got to know the story of the Fukuhara brothers. Oh, well, I first met Harry in 1994 in Tokyo, and Harry is... uh, the one of the primary protagonists in the story. Uh, he's the middle brother, and I learned his story by chance, and I in, he introduced me to his brothers, but it was after we had been talking for four years, and I mentioned to him that I thought that he had a remarkable story that uh, merited a book. And tell us a little bit about what that story was that captured your attention. When I first met him, I only knew uh, what I read and heard from other people, read in newspaper articles, and it was that he was a second-generation Japanese-American born in the United States to uh, Issei uh, immigrant parents. Uh, He was uh, raised in the U.S., and then had spent time in Japan and had returned to the United States before World War II, uh, before Pearl Harbor. He was interned, and I learned that he had ended up um, enlisting in the U.S. Army and going to the Pacific at the same time that his brothers who were in Japan were in the Japanese Imperial Army. And the outlines of the story were just um, fantastic to me, uh, but... Uh, a certain at a certain level they had been told in newspaper articles and it wasn't until I really started talking to Harry and his various family members at length and learned the ramifications including the atomic bomb that um, I was deeply involved. Tell us a little about Harry and, and, and how he really revealed this story to you because it didn't happen all at once. I mean you had to, to really pry some of it out of him. Well, I met Harry when he was in his early 70s. Uh, He was very sharp, uh, very regal, actually. He was a retired um, U.S. Army colonel. And uh, he was at ease with himself um, and all that he had accomplished in a full lifetime. But I also think that he was at a point in his life in which he was taking stock and thinking about uh, what had happened to him and how he had acted in return and what he wanted to leave as a legacy. So although we talked for a very long time before we both decided uh, to do a book together, uh, he was ready. Uh, But he was a reticent person, an extrovert and a reticent person, um, and very humble. So that, and that, 
to that respect, I did have to pry to a certain degree. I had to get him, him to really reveal his innermost emotions and uh, talk about things that he had repressed his whole life. And talk about the brothers that were back in Hiroshima. So Harry uh, had gone to Hiroshima with his entire family after his dad died at the height of the Great Depression in 1933 in Seattle. He had stayed in Hiroshima for five years and then had gone back, uh, as had his sister, to the United States. His three brothers stayed in Hiroshima with their mother. Uh, one was a little bit older, Victor. The other two, Pierce and Frank, were younger and were too young to return to the U.S. Harry had graduated high school. He was yearning for independence and missed the U.S. So um, Harry was extremely close to his baby brother, Frank. Frank just worshipped him. Indeed, that was the case for all of their lives. Um, and Harry knew when he was in the U.S., um, because of all of his brother's ages, that they were probably going to be inducted into the Japanese Imperial Army. Um, nevertheless, he enlisted in the U.S. Army. And that was an interesting facet of the story. How did he make a decision like that? Well, I, that was very intriguing for me um, at first because I knew how close he was to his family. Uh, but he was so overwhelmed by the pervasive despair in the internment camp. He was interned with his sister Mary and niece Jeannie in Gila River in Arizona. And the longer he was there, the more he felt him slipping, himself slipping emotionally. He was um, angry at everybody. He uh, was at a loss about his future. Uh, he just had no idea how long he would be incarcerated because no one was given any sense of how long they would be in these camps. And uh, when a, an opportunity to leave camp came, and it came in the form of becoming a linguist, uh, a translator and interrogator of Japanese uh, POWs and of doc documents, he grabbed it, but he did not think that he would be sent to the Pacific. He had terrible eyesight. He had worn glasses since elementary school, and he thought that he would be translating dry documents in some mainland government building. So it was a decision he made as a very young man. He was 22, and it was one um, with sort of blinders on, but there was uh, so much that he could not have known anyway. How did his members of his family and his brothers look at look upon this decision that he made? They were unaware. Uh, Harry and Mary lost contact with the family uh, several months after Pearl Harbor. Initially, both sides were able to confirm that each other was safe and well. Uh, but after Harry uh, started feeling the effects of the curfew and uh, seeing the internment happen, he it kept moving from place to place to avoid uh, being interned, but he was interned ultimately from Los Angeles, and uh, they just they could not uh, keep the contact going. I also believe that their letters were censored because so many uh, that both sides of the family recounted to me did not reach each other. So his brothers did not find out that he was in the army until he turned up on their doorstep at the end of the war um, in October of 1945. And then, of course, the whole post-war thing is another matter, how they dealt with the idea that 
the United States, which was their home country as well, had um, exploded or detonated an atomic bomb above Hiroshima. Did he have any concern as to how the family might feel about it if they did find out? He did. I mean, he knew that his mother did not want him to enlist because that letter, uh, well, there had been enough communication uh, that he was aware that she would not be happy about that. Uh, But he was a proud American. He was angry in the camp, and yet he was loyal to the United States. There was also this historical tradition in Japan that uh, you should be loyal to your country. And his parents knew that their son, his his late father and his mother in Hiroshima, had always known that he was an American. Indeed, they had raised their children to be Americans. And that's one of the ironies of the whole internment episode is that two-thirds of those interned were American citizens. They had been born in the States and raised uh, by their immigrant parents. Uh, As you pointed out, Jeff, uh, part of the larger American immigration story uh, to be Americans first who were proud of their Japanese heritage as well. Talk a little bit about the post-war period and what, what evolved there. Well, uh, in post-war, Harry was able to get into Japan in October, of, in September of 1945. October of 1945, he found his family. Uh, his mother and oldest brother were severely affected by the atomic bomb. Ultimately, um, Harry was able uh, to stay in the United States Army. He rose to become one of the first Japanese-American colonels. He was one of the quiet and tireless links between the United States and Japan uh, who made the occupation so successful. There were 6,000 Japanese Americans in the military intelligence service, and that's the arm of the army in which Harry was, uh, who worked for the occupation and uh, smoothed over those many differences between the United States and Japan. And I believe, and many others, that Harry is one of the reasons that that alliance is so strong today. Where, if anywhere, is the anger in all of this? The idea of Harry coming back, discovering what had happened to his family, being in the American military after the bomb bombing of Hiroshima. That is something that I have found the most startling, is his lack of bitterness and his lack of anger. I do believe that the atomic bomb was always a difficult topic for Harry. Uh, Harry lived in California when he retired, ultimately, from the Army in 1990, but he would come frequently to Japan, and that's where I was living. And uh, there were so many chances for us to go to Hiroshima and see people, and he never agreed to do it. Whereas Frank, who was living in Japan, uh, would always go to Hiroshima, would say, oh, Pam, my elementary school reunion's taking place. Let's go. We'll be able to meet some people. Or my neighbors, uh, former neighbors, have said that they would like to see you. Let's go. It'll it'll be beautiful there. And so I found a real difference in the brothers' approaches. Um, I think Harry had incredible sadness and anguish over the atomic bomb. He had nightmares over uh, what happened to his older brother. Uh, but I do not think that he had anger because I think that he knew that war was ugly and everybody um, does the best they can under the circumstances. Did he have guilt, survi- kind of survivor's guilt or some variation of that? 
that he did have. Um, almost as soon as he learned that the atomic bomb had been detonated, he was in Manila and he began to feel extremely guilty. Uh, he felt as if he himself had done it. And he feared that the entire city had been decimated and his family was lost. Uh, and as he landed in Wakayama in September of 1945, getting off one of the landing craft vehicles, wading into the waters, seeing Japan uh, just in a, such a poor condition and the people looking so hungry and emaciated, uh, he felt guilty about that too. And he felt that if he had a chance someday, on some level, he would like to help Japan recover. How did you explain to yourself, and how did you come to understand this lack of bitterness and lack of anger? Ah, well, I think it's a, a sign of great maturity. It's a sign of um, someone who was fundamentally optimistic by nature and viewed um, human nature as, as essentially good. And a very wise man, uh, because if he had been angry, he would not have been able to accomplish what he did. And I think that he was able to make amends with whatever, whatever contradictions he saw in his own past by um, what he was able to achieve later in life. And his mother, who did survive the atomic bomb, although she had radiation sickness, um, she was very proud of him. And his brothers, um, who, who survived, uh, Frank and Pierce, who were in the Japanese Imperial Army, they uh, were so respectful towards him. They knew um, that he was uh, a person who respected Japan, loved Japan, but was ultimately American. And they um, were grieved that he had been in the internment camps as well. So there was so much love both ways. It was expressed in a very Japanese way. It was unspoken, but it, there was the sense that they would always be there for each other. Well, it's interesting that you, you mentioned the, the Japanese aspect because the, the one thing that's hard to figure out in this story is whether this attitude and all the things we've been talking about comes out of a, a maturity of the individuals or whether there is something just so inherent in the Japanese culture that makes this more understandable? Oh, that's a great um, reflection. I mean, there is that shikataganai, it cannot be helped, uh, Buddhist attitude. And uh, although Harry was raised as a Christian outside of Seattle, certainly his parents uh, were practicing Buddhists, and uh, that philosophy does permeate Japan to this day, and there's definitely an element of that, and I believe that Harry was a kind of chameleon. Uh, he was able to be Japanese in Japan and American in the United States, and it may be because um, he inherently understood both, and uh, there was this give and take uh, in his character. Did he encounter, what other kinds of resentment, if any, did he encounter in the U.S. post-war? Uh, well, he, when he first returned uh, in 1946, he was not able to get a job. Um, he encountered the same kind of racism that he had experienced pre-internment uh, in 1942 and, and 1941. Uh, he 
was the subject of slurs. He heard them behind his back as he walked down the street. The only way that he felt safe was when he was wearing his uh, Army, U.S. Army uniform. Uh, so he was aware all of his life, actually, that this strain of anti-Japanese sentiment existed. And later in his life, he was tireless to address schools and all kinds of organizations to talk about um, why that is so unhealthy and such a, a bad historical trend that we must uh, uh, face up to and put behind us. And yet it is even harder. I mean, as remarkable as this story is, it is somehow even more remarkable in a contemporaneous context. Yes, I mean, Harry always feared that um, the story wasn't known, and he had to, and he had to do what he could. Uh, and he, there is this other strain, and I'm thinking about your earlier comment, Jeff, of the his fellow Japanese Americans in the military intelligence service were also very quiet about their courage and their experiences. And there were others who had family in Japan during the war and, and suffered as well. There were people who had family in Okinawa and Hiroshima, etc. cetera. Uh, but they uh, were very humble, modest, um, and uh, they hesitated to say too much. And they had also taken an oath when they joined the service not to uh, confide much of what they've experienced because it was a top secret unit. So, yes, uh, I, I think that uh, they have not been as vociferous, and that was something that concerned Harry, and if he had seen what's happening in contemporary United States politics, he would be upset but not surprised, and he would be on the radio talking with you right now. <laughs> How unique was the story of, of these brothers and this family? Well, I do believe that it was unique that they were willing to open their hearts to me um, over the course of time. They were patient. They didn't know whether it would ultimately be published. They certainly hoped that it would be. Uh, they did not survive to see the publication of this book. Uh, and so I think that... That openness, that patience, that willingness to have me look at both sides of the Pacific, because one of um, the my request to Harry when I took this project on was that it would take time, although I had no idea how much time it would take, and I needed to um, talk to not just his friends, and but people he may not have been as comfortable with, and I needed to do it on both sides of the Pacific. Uh, so I think that idea. They, they understood that I would be doing interviews in Japanese and in English. There would be uh, certain matters that I would discover that they might not have wanted to talk about. That's unique. Uh, but there were other Japanese Americans who had this kind of experience. And, I, and if I can bring up the contemporary link again, mm -hmm. that could happen today. I mean, it could happen with an Afghani an American family. It could happen with any number of places where we have conflicts. And we have to remember uh, our history and, and learn from it. What did you learn? What was your biggest takeaway from this project? Oh, well... I was raised on the East Coast, and I never learned about the internment, so that was my initial entry point, and I learned a lot about that, I, but I also learned about um, this life lesson of 
you encountering hard knocks, uh, there are circumstances beyond our control. I mean, you don't get any bigger than the atomic bomb or World War II. And yet, um, there are ways that we can make the most of our lives. If, uh, and uh, we have to seek the light. And actually, that's that idea of seeking the light is something that a family friend of, of the Fukuhara's, Harry and Frank and Pierce, said to me. She was an atomic bomb survivor. She had suffered terribly during the war and with the bomb. And uh, she said that one sort of message that had kept her going was to seek the light. And her brother who died had said that to her. And certainly um, Harry and Frank and, and the rest, Mary and they all personified um, that doggedness and that uh, good cheer. And I, it's ultimately uh, the human emotions uh, that educated me and moved me in the story as much as the larger history. Pamela Ratna Sakamoto, her book is Midnight in Broad Daylight, a Japanese-American family caught between two worlds. Pamela, I thank you so much for spending time with us. Thank you, Jeff. It's been a pleasure. Thank you.